A number of years ago, I was left in charge of my two daughters for a weekend. Uh, Claire uh, worked a, a lot with the youth uh, in Kirkpatrick. She was away on a youth weekend that Patrick was a part of. So I was left to look after Sophie and Ruby, daddy daycare. Um, I won't say a whole lot about my parenting skills in general, but I will share a little about one aspect of that, and, and we'll call it daddy diet. Mom was away for 48 hours. Nobody was checking what we would be eating. And I think the weekend started, if I recall right, with a late night visit to the chippy on Friday night for chips and onion rings. There may have been a fry or something of that nature on Saturday morning. Uh, I don't know if we had proper meals during the day, but we certainly grazed on chips and junk food. And then by Saturday evening, I thought, well, I I'm gonna be a popular dad here. Mum's away, let's go to the Chinese and we'll get in a nice Chinese. Parenting, it's a walk in the park. I wondered what is all the fuss about? Now, you'd think with that weekend diet that I'd planned so carefully, um, the, the, the whole thing would have been an unqualified success. But, but the thing that, that I'll always remember it was the Sunday morning, the, the mood music sort of swang against me. Uh, I could feel it, full-scale mutiny. And at one point I heard a voice from the back seat of the car. Dad, can we please have some fruit? Now, for a, a kid to ask for fruit um, is an unusual thing, I, I would guess. Uh, the, the, the implicit critique landed heavy on me. I was settling for junk. And, and my kids wanted to be healthy. For almost as long as I can remember, the British medical establishment's been inviting us to a healthy diet. Uh, they've probably tried different strategies over the years, um, but one thing they've talked about, and, and you'll know about, is, is five a day. Uh, they've been encouraging everyone to have at least five portions of fruit or vegetable each day. Actually, if I remember right, and, and if I picked it up right, I think there were times over recent years where they, they tried moving the goalposts. Uh, I think at one point I heard people talking about 10 a day. Um, anyway, how's that going for you, your five or your 10 a day? I hope you're eating better than my kids did uh, when they came under my care. I'm not going to push that too far with you this morning because it's not really my area. I'll leave that for your GP or whoever else helps you with your physical health. I am your pastor. So my concern is with your spiritual health. I want to see you come to know Jesus Christ and to grow as a faithful follower of his. Actually, what I want in the end is to see you becoming more and more like Jesus, because if you have any other definition of spiritual maturity, I want you to set it aside. To be spiritually healthy, to be spiritually mature is to look like Jesus Christ. This summer, we're going to talk about spiritual growth, but we are going to talk about it in terms of fruit. And it's not a new idea. It's an idea that Paul first brings to us in chapter 5 of his letter to Galatians. We read it a moment ago. 
in verse 22 of the chapter, Paul tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and control. So he is talking about fruit, albeit a different type of fruit, nine different varieties. Forget five a day for a moment. This summer, we're focusing on the nine fruit of God's Spirit. A lot of British evangelicals of my generation and older were inspired by John Stott. He was well into his nine a day. He, he used to pray for these nine fruit to be evident in his life every day. I, I mentioned this recently in our Fruitfulness in the Frontline series when we were thinking about what it means to model godly character. Here's John Stott's daily prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you'll fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A lot of people who knew John Stott said that he was one of the most Christ-like people that they had ever met. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? If a person every day came before God and said, fill me with your spirit, give me the fruit of your spirit, something we'd think that God would want to answer. You ask the Holy Spirit to, to fill you with his own presence and his own characteristics, and, and he will do that. The Holy Spirit of Jesus making us like Jesus. That's what we're going to be thinking about in our morning services uh, over this summer. This series will be on the fruit of the Spirit, but we're going to call it Becoming Like Jesus, just so that we don't miss that. When the fruit grows in our lives, we are becoming like Jesus. By the way, um, this might help some of you um, who wonder where Hamilton Road stands on the Holy Spirit. Depending on our backgrounds, uh, we tend to have various experiences and expectations about the work of the Spirit in the church and in our lives. So some people might look at Hamilton Road and say, well, Hamilton Road's not very into the Holy Spirit. It's more into the Bible or discipleship. Folks, if you think about that for even a moment, you'll see that it simply doesn't make any sense. You see, what the Holy Spirit is about more than anything else is taking people who've put their trust in Jesus Christ and making them more and more like Jesus, the, the person whom they've responded to in the gospel, the person whom they've chosen to follow. In fact, you could say that the nine fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, they're a picture of Jesus. Jesus was full of the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because he was full of the Spirit. 
the more and more we're filled with God's Spirit, the more the fruit of the Spirit will ripen in us and the more we become like Jesus. So being full of the Spirit and growing in the fruit of the Spirit, that's a biblical invitation. That's the essence of discipleship. So let me put it to you that we're all about the Spirit here at Hamilton Road. We've said that making people like Jesus is what the Spirit's all about. Let, let's come now to, to Galatians, because it's, it's what Paul is talking about throughout this letter. Look, look with me back into chapter 4. He addresses these guys in Galatia, and he says, My dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Paul's a proper pastor. He's not worried about church growth in terms of, of numbers of people. He's interested in church growth in terms of each believer growing in likeness to Jesus. He wants to see Christ formed in his people. Passionate to see every man and woman, every boy and girl in those communities more like Jesus. Folks, we, we forget about this. We overcomplicate things. This is what the church is for. I'll, I'll have shared from C.S. Lewis with you his idea that the purpose of the church is to make little Christs. That's what the church does. And, and folks, I, I, I want to tell you, this is what excites me. I, I hope I hope you're beginning to know that about me in your experience. The thing that excites me is, is to see one person responding to Jesus or growing in Jesus. One person showing evidence of the transforming work of Jesus Christ in their lives. That'll keep me going for a day, a week, a month. And when I see it in more than one person, when I see it in many of you, then I'm a happy pastor and delighted in my calling. That's what I'm all about. That's what we're all about here, making people who are like Jesus. So that's what we're going to be thinking about in this summer of 2022. Uh, we're going to be thinking together about the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5.22, and I'll get us started this morning with a, an introduction, and then each of the subsequent Sundays we'll look at one of the fruits of the Spirit. If we're going to understand what Paul's talking about and why he's talking about and what he means, we need to have a quick look at Galatians. Very quickly, who are the Galatians? The book of Acts tells the story of how Paul is sent out from his sending church in Antioch He's sent out to proclaim the gospel, but with a particular target audience. Paul, you go to the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish population. And Acts tells the story of how his first missionary journeys concentrated on the provinces of Asia Minor. Asia Minor in old money is Turkey in new money. So there's a region in northern Turkey called Galatia, and Paul's writing to the churches that he had established uh, in northern Turkey. Paul had taught them when he went to them about the God of Israel, about the great promise he had made to Abraham to bless the world through him and his family. 
But what Paul does when he writes to the Galatians, these Gentile believers, he tells them that the moment they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they become part of Abram's family and God's family. You see, the most important thing about Abram, Paul teaches throughout his letters, in the end, isn't his ethnicity. The most important thing about Abram is that he put his trust in God, that he had faith in God. So these Gentiles throughout Galatia who have put their trust in God and now in the, the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, they have become children of Abraham. They have become children of Abraham, not by becoming Jews, but by joining Abraham and putting his faith in the God of Abraham. Just as God first accepted Abraham by grace through faith, he's now accepted these Gentile Galatian believers by grace through faith in Jesus the Messiah. So essentially, the message that Paul shares with them in the opening chapters of the, the letter to the Galatians is this. If you're in Christ, you're already in Abraham. God's promises are already for you. He says famously, chapter 3, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul taught them when he visited with them. This is the essence of his gospel. And this is what he reminds them of in his letter. But something's gone wrong. Something's happened since Paul's first visit, since he established these communities, that's given him occasion to write this letter. Other teachers had come along and they'd said, no, no, Paul's wrong about that. A Gentile can't simply join the family of God by trusting in Jesus Christ. No. They need to become Jewish. They need to be circumcised. They need to, to keep the Sabbath in that particular Jewish way. They need to abstain from certain types of food. You can't just trust in Jesus. You, you need to obey the Jewish law. And when Paul hears about this, he's furious. And that's why he writes this letter. He's furious about that teaching and he's furious with those who have, who have accepted it and imbibed it. So for the first four chapters, he, he covers that ground. He insists that Jesus is all we need. Anyone who trusts in Jesus, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're free from living under the Jewish traditions and the Old Testament law. Rather, we're, we're to live lives of freedom we live with Christ in us and we walk by the Spirit. Folks, I want you to hold all of that. But I want you to, to think with me for a moment why that would be a difficult message. If you don't, I don't think you'll ever understand the, the book of Paul's letter to the Galatians. This was a radical message when Paul first preached it back then, this idea that you could live for God without living by rules. It stressed people in Galatia in Paul's day. It stressed people again at the time of the Reformation. 
So when Luther and the other reformers uh, called the church back to the reality that, that God's salvation is by grace, uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and that it comes not by works of the law, so that none of us can boast, when, when the reformers preached that message, they were regarded as heretics and firebrands. So what's the problem? The problem is this. Surely if you teach people that they can live for God without living under the law, surely you're inviting them into moral license. Surely if we're acceptable to God, regardless of what we do, won't that give people an excuse to live whatever way they want? If, if these Gentiles throughout Galatia, if they aren't brought into line by bringing them under the Jewish law, aren't they going to stay in their pagan immorality or, or fall back into it over time? Paul says no. They won't. And here's why. Christians, on the one hand, do not live under the Jewish law, but they're not going to slide into license either because they live in an entirely different way, a far better way. Christians live by the Spirit of the living God in them. His law is not on a page anymore. It's been written on their hearts. Let's come now deeper into Galatians 5. It's on page 1172, if you're using the Pew Bible. Let's see if we can follow Paul's argument and see how this chapter builds on what we've talked about so far. In verse 1, he, he affirms and confirms that, that it really is, the, the gospel really is about freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You are free. Don't allow yourself to be shackled. If they're free from the law, from its demands, from trying to please God by law-keeping, what are they free for? How are they to use their freedom? Well, it turns out that they're free to love. This is how we live free from the law and without sliding into license. Three times Paul refers to love in chapter 5. Look with me. Verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 13. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but rather serve one another in love. Verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh yeah, we live under law. We do. Love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So says Paul, we're free, free from the law to live lives of love. It's as though we're set free from the, the particular and the cultural, cultural bound obligations of the Old Testament law to live by a new law, 
which interprets the whole thing anyway, the law of love. That's great, we might say. But Paul, have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to love people? Even the people close to you, the ones you, you like a bit? That's hard. How are we to live lives of love? How, how are we actually to do this? Paul tells us. Still in chapter 5. We, we'll only do it by the Spirit of God. Verse 16, live by the Spirit. Verse 18, he says that we're to be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, we're to keep in step with the Spirit. The lives of love that we're called to live, we can only live by the Spirit of God. And it's at this point in his argument that Paul introduces us to the fruit of the Spirit. Verses 19 to 21, he spelt out the acts of, or the fruit of, let's call them the sinful nature. They're like the anti-fruit of the Spirit, if I could put it that way. Then in verse 22, he finally tells us of the, the fruit that the Spirit will produce in our lives. If we're going to get this this summer, and if we're serious about God transforming us by his Spirit, serious about becoming more like Jesus, we've got to understand what this is and how it works. That list in verse 22, it's not a to-do list. Don't, don't set about reading it or trying to learn it and then trying to do it. Please don't do that. Paul's not saying... Stop doing the stuff in verses 19 to 21 and start doing the stuff in verse 22. He's not saying Moses gave you 10 laws in the 10 commandments, but they are quite old fashioned now. That was quite a long time ago. So let me give you nine new laws for these times we're living in. No, that's, that's not what Paul's talking about at all. If we want to understand Paul, we've got to understand the, the metaphor he uses. Look at the list. All nine of those qualities, all of these taken together are the fruit of the Spirit. Singular. These fruit grow together. They grow in one place. The kind of weird part of his analogy is they, all these fruit grow in one tree. You know what the tree is? It's your life. And it's mine. When we have the Spirit, we can grow these kind of fruit. So here's what Paul's saying with this list of beautiful qualities. These are the qualities that God wants to produce in a person who has his life. When the Spirit becomes your sap, when his life is the thing that, that empowers you and, 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 and invigorates you, then you become this kind of a person. And of course, we've said it at the start, it'll make you more like Jesus. So that's, that's our, our series this summer. It's on the fruit of the Spirit, but it's about becoming more like Jesus. I want to wrap this up this morning with an invitation right at the start of our series, because actually I don't think this series has any power if we don't deal with this question and this invitation. My question is this. 
would you be willing to consider asking God to come to you in a new way to change your character? Oh, and as soon as we ask the question, our, our hackles go up or shut, or, you know. But I'm asking the question anyway. I know about old dog and new tricks. I know that we've been trying to change for 50, 60, I'll, I'll stop there, years. But I'm still asking the question. Because otherwise this series isn't going anywhere. Would you be willing to consider asking God to come to you in a new way and to grow your character at this point in your life? Forget for a moment about all those other ways in which you're, you're mindful of how you change, how your circumstances change, uh, how you think about your growth, your growth in knowledge or your abilities or your earning power and your reputation. Forget about all that. I'm talking about your character. I'm talking about who you are. Perhaps you're not used to being asked a question like that and you're maybe struggling with it. Let, let me help you with it. It seems to me that the only good reason that a person would say no to that question is because they feel their character is already fully formed. I've arrived. Put Jesus beside me and you wouldn't tell the difference. God's work in me is done. You look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit and you say, yep, all those and some of the other stuff that Paul didn't even think of. I've got it all. Ten out of ten. Brothers and sisters, I can't say that. I'm not close to being able to say that. And forgive me, after 18 months of being your minister, I'm not sure that most of us can either. Is that okay? Nobody threw a Bible or a chair? Folks, I'm, I'm like John Stott. I, I want to see the fruit of God's Spirit growing in my life, but I need to ask God to do it. Reading about it, studying passages in the Bible isn't, isn't actually going to do it. We, we can learn some things here, but it's the, the fruit of the Spirit. It's Him welling up inside us that'll give us this fruit that we're talking about. So maybe like John Stott, I want to pray this prayer. Maybe like my children, I'm asking, Daddy, can I have some fruit? For those of us who are willing to ask the Father for more fruit at this point in our lives, let me say this. Fruit takes time. N nothing seems to be slower than change in person in character. We can change our stuff around us. The stuff inside us takes forever. So this is going to take time, a lifetime of time. But knowing that, knowing that it's going to take time, let's start now. Let's, let's get in and get moving and get going. Let's invite the Spirit to come and to grow His fruit in our lives. As you know, 
almost every time I preach for you, I'll finish with a prayer. I love doing that. I love praying God's word back to him, inviting him to, to bring it into our lives. This morning, I thought we, we would all pray. I thought I'd invite you to be more active with me. What we're going to do is we're going to pray using a song. We, we've just used one of the old classics, As the Deer Pants for the Water. We're going to reach for another. But if you sing this with any posture of truth and openness to God, what you're doing is you're inviting God's Spirit to come to meet with you and to transform you. It's the prayer I want for us after hearing God's word and as we begin this series. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Stay in your seat as we sing this, this prayer. is answering that prayer already. Could I encourage you to nurture the, the thing that God is doing in you just at the moment? Take that with you as you leave and open this to God, to his spirit, to him doing new things in you in the days ahead. Let's now we're going to